You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. Hey, Calvary Baptist Church, Ed Setzer here, and uh, so glad to be able to share God's Word with you again. We've been walking through Philippians, so if you have your Bible, you can take it out and turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. And Philippians chapter 1, beginning at verse 18, says this. It says, Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and with the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage now and as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me, yet I, um, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. All right, so what we're going to talk about today is uh, this uncommon joy, and it's tied into this verse that's very well known. It's one of those verses that I call refrigerator verses. People take it off and put it as a refrigerator magnet. Uh, for me to live as Christ and die is to gain. Another one they do is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I remember seeing that at a gym once and thinking to myself, I don't think Paul was writing about the uh, the amount of weights I can deadlift. But anyway, another story for another day, and we're not there. We're at Philippians 1. And this verse generally is taken briefly and in context to talk about living in Christ. But I want to take it a little more intentionally into its context, and I want to look at... Um, what this is referring to us. I want us to actually look at that if you want uncommon joy, the kind that defines your life, you have to live your life surrendered to Christ. That's what I want to look at today. Uh, Sometimes when you see something from a different perspective, it helps you to see more rightly. Uh, Sometimes, and this passage here, right, for, you know, yes, I will rejoice and goes on for, I know that through your prayers and with the help of the Spirit of Jesus, he goes on from there. Um, And sometimes when, we see it from a different perspective. And I want to give a little more context for the part for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Uh, but I want to do this context by kind of helping here. I want you to take a look at this planet, right? This is a, a photo, uh, looks like an unusual planet, right? Now, if you know enough about astronomy, you know we actually don't have photos like this of other planets because that's actually not a photo of a planet. It's actually a picture of a lake through a binocular lens. Now take a look at it and you'll see it. It's a lake through a binocular lens. Now, why does it matter? Well, because I want us to see joy through a different lens today. I want us to see it. Maybe we've had this idea that a joyful person is a jolly person. A joyful person is a disproportionately happy person. But I'm actually going to talk about today how surrender leads to the ultimate joy that we are talking about today. Last week in the dialogue after the service, um, we got into a conversation about what's called moralistic therapeutic deism. It's a big word, Christian Smith, and he was the editor of a book, and they kind of coined the phrase. Uh, so the idea that God, that Christianity, excuse me, is moralistic, you know, don't do right or wrong, therapeutic, it's good for you. You know, we actually have studies that show prayer is good for you, and being religious is good for you. And deism, God's sort of out there, but not intervening in today's, today's uh, action of society. And what I want to say is, is actually that when we look today at this passage, we're actually going to see 
that this really speaks against that kind of idea. It's an active, intentional surrender that leads to an uncommon, spectacular joy. An active, intentional surrender that leads to an uncommon and spectacular joy. And this is one of those things that's so radical. It's so shocking that there, when you really look at them, you might see one thing and it turns out to be something else. And today's message, I think, directly relates to our world today where so many are filled with everything from frustration to outrage to anxiety, from anger to cynicism. So Paul, and we don't know all the details, but Paul imprisoned for the gospel, not knowing whether he would live or die, we can get that from the context, was filled with joy. So again, my theme today is if you want uncommon joy, the kind that defines your life, you have to live your life surrendered to Christ. So D.L. Moody is a name that will be familiar to people who maybe know the history of Calvary Baptist Church. And D.L. Moody, of course, founded uh, several things, but uh, the Moody Bible Institute, uh, the Moody Church. And he was quoted, but he was actually quoting a friend of his, Henry Varley. And here's what he quoted as saying, just the quote here on the screen. It says, um, the world has yet to see what God can do with a man fully consecrated to him. By God's help, I aim to be that man. And at his funeral, um, there was actually Tory. Ari Tory was speaking at his funeral. And it was funny. Tory actually um, quoted his weight. You know, Moody was a big man. He was an overweight man. And Tory said um, that all, I forget the exact amount, but all 298 pounds of D.L. Moody was fully consecrated to God. And I, I told people that story. And I said, listen, I appreciate that. If you say nice things about me at my funeral, just don't have to mention the weight. Uh, but it is sort of funny that he would do that. But, but the key is, is that Moody was seen as that person who was fully consecrated. Again, I think that's rightful. We do that out of a rightful response to Jesus' death on the cross for our sin and in our place. But I want you to see it through a different lens. If you want uncommon joy, you have to live complete surrender. And you can take up Moody's challenge or Paul's challenge to live is Christ and to die is gain. Uh, and I think we never be the same. Um, back, interesting, Varley, by the way, who made the passing statement about the world has yet to see what God could do to a man fully cons- uh, with a man fully consecrated to him. And Moody sort of made it into a, a catchphrase of his ministry. And I don't want us to pass this by because that full consecration is not just what God will do with us, but what God does to us. And this is the thing I don't want you to miss. He gives us this uncommon, spectacular, shocking joy. Now, there's a foundation that we begin with here. It's a, it's a certain joy and a sure deliverance. That's verses 18 uh, and verse 19. The second part of verse 18 and verse 19. Uh, says this, it says, yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers, he says, and with the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. So there's this confidence, um, and, and what's interesting is he actually, his confidence is not that he's going to live or die. He's actually, his confidence is that he will uh, be delivered. Now, there are clearly more than one paths to deliverance here for Paul, because he would say whether I live or I die. So he knows that if he died, martyred, persecuted and martyred for the faith, he'd be delivered. And if he was set free, he'd be delivered. Now, uh, people, actually scholars, sometimes debate about where this takes place, where this is written from. But here's what we know. He talks about his own imprisonment. He talks about um, the rejoicing. Paul talks about rejoicing about when, while he's being attacked within, from within and in jail. Yet his vision was to see the gospel proclaimed, and it was happening. So he takes a step back here and looks at his own life. He knows the end, and he has confidence and boldness 
because he knows because deliverance is going to come. He he doesn't necessarily know that that means he's going to be removed from the negative circumstances he is in, but he knows deliverance is coming and I uh, could be living and seeing the churches grow because of, of his witness. It could be dying and seeing full, Jesus fully re- revealed. You may have heard the phrase, it's kind of an evangelical cliche almost, uh, but very true. The safest place is to be in the center of God's will. And that's a key verse, I, I, yet a key phrase. But I, I also am struck by the fact that the safest place doesn't mean the place that you don't end up martyred. doesn't mean the place you don't end up suffering. We talked about that in depth last week. We won't go through that again. But the reality is it's true that sometimes people in the middle of God's will suffer awful, torturous, painful deaths. We saw that last time. In the midst of the will of God. As long as we understand that, then we can understand that this saying makes sense. The safest place is to be in the center of God's will. Because you're going to be delivered from whatever circumstance or situation. But it could be through martyrdom. And Paul says that, right? So Paul would be delivered either from jail to minister further or through death to be with Christ. Now, again, we have to be careful. Um, sometimes people have, not, not a lot, not a lot, but sometimes people maybe struggle with um, suicidal ideation or um, some mental health challenges. Hear a verse like this and might take it from its context and say, well, it's better for me to, to not be here. And what I would say is that's not what Paul's saying. There's no, there's no um, mental health crisis that's going on here. This can be very real. We have pastors and uh, referral options for people who maybe struggle with that. And if that's you, you can call and our pastors will talk with you and talk through this with you. But Paul's talking about that he may have this brought upon him, but that would still be deliverance. So we're going to talk about how to live in Christ, how to, how, how to live is Christ today, and what are the tools we use to uh, to do that. We're going to talk about three things, unashamed joy, courageous joy, and uncommon joy. And we're going to talk about joy that hopes, that moves, and that remains. Because if you want uncommon joy, the kind that defines your life, you have to live your life surrendered to Christ. So number one um, on our outline here is, is, is unashamed joy, is unashamed joy. And I love uh, verse 20 here, Philippians chapter 1, verse 20. It says this, um, at, it's about unashamed joy. Remember, so it's this unashamed joy. And then he's talking about, as is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. I will not be put to shame at all of the translation I have it mismemorized and says. So Paul, when Paul's talking about is wasting his life. He isn't going to be ashamed because his life is wasted. It's not going to be dishonored. Um, he doesn't want to live in a shameful way. Frankly, this is not that odd. None of us wants to live shameful lives. We can all relate to that. We don't want to be ashamed. And Paul's saying, in no way and no means will be I be ashamed. It's my expectation and hope. I'm convinced he seeks to honor Christ. That's a life worth living. And his confidence is not in himself, but in Christ. Christ is the better leader, the better teacher, the the better inheritance. And so he's got this unashamed joy. And I love the unashamed joy. It's my eager expectation. He he waits for it. He hopes for it. He's ready for it. It's not a hope like I'm kind of hoping that I win the lottery. It's a hope that is a blessed hope, an assured hope. So he, he, with confidence, is saying, it's my eager expectation. I expect that I will not be put to shame because my hope is fully in Christ. My hope is fully rested upon him. So this is key, right? Um, So he is saying here, it's my eager expectation. I'm waiting and trusting to see how God will deliver me. Uh, And I know, right? And my hope, my hope is this confident, blessed hope 
I will not be at all ashamed. There's no situation where I'm going to be ashamed because my life is fully surrendered. That's where Paul keeps going back to. You'll see that in just a minute because my life is fully surrendered. So it's an unashamed joy that hopes, right? There's this blessed hope, this amazing hope that undergirds everything we are. So he's unashamed about it. I, I, I will not be ashamed. Now, joy is a theme throughout the book of Philippians. We're, we're going to look later in Philippians, Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, right? Not just once, but twice. So having this unashamed joy that, that hopes, that has this deep hope, actually speaks to the bigger theme we're talking about here. If you want uncommon joy, that's what I want. I bet that's what you want. The kind that defines your life, not just I'm joyful sometimes, but it defines my life. You have to live your life surrendered to Christ. So the first is unashamed joy, right? But let's look at number two. It's a courageous joy. See, which seems like a strange connection of words, but stay with me. Because here's what he says. But now that with full courage, now, as always, which is an interesting way to put it, by the way. Uh, It's not just saying with great courage. You could just say with full courage. And you could assume it means now and always. But he's like now and always. And there'll be times in your life when you want to say, now I'm going to have an unashamed joy based on a full and deep courage. Now, in the midst of this, when when the chips are down, when the brokenness is evident, when I'm just struggling, but that with full courage, says a man who's imprisoned, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be, not might be, not should be, not could be, Christ will be honored in my body. That's that full surrender, whether by life or by death. So that full surrender is beautifully evident in Paul's writing. So remember, it's unashamed joy that hopes here it's courageous joy that moves, right? That with full courage, it's moved me. Uh, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. And the word in the original Greek, the, the, this book of the Bible is written in Greek. Um, uh, most of the New Testament is. Um, it says, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body. Full of courage is a strong one in the Greek text. It He normally uses it meaning around to share the gospel, right? Being bold in sharing the gospel with others in our witness. It's actually the same term used in Acts 4.13 when the religious leaders actually saw the what's called the boldness of Peter and John. So this boldness, this strong courage, it's also used in the church in Acts 4.29-31 as the church prayed to receive more boldness, given boldness, we're given boldness to speak of Christ. So um, how did the early church respond to their persecution in Acts 4? With courage, with boldness. So one of the things I want us to not miss is one of the ways we move away from shame and uh, in this life is by moving to or moving in this courageous, joyful surrender. So it moves, it means moving beyond theory to faith and action. It means uh, courageous joy moves into places where we are most weak and vulnerable. It, courageous joy generates one of the most powerful feelings in the world, hope. I have a certain hope. So the reason Paul would make such a statement is because he's a Christian. He's been converted. Now, here's the thing. Um, one of the reasons you might not be able to make that statement is because you're not yet a follower of Jesus. Now, there are other reasons as well. We can be struggling. We can be unsure. We might find that we need to to, uh, to walk in full courage and courageousness, so we might walk in joy that moves. Um, but 
this would seem a foreign reality to you if you don't know the Lord. So maybe somebody invited you. I'm so glad you're watching today. Um, just know that Calvary Baptist Church is a loving community that cares about you. We are socially distanced and ungathered at the time, but we are not unloved and we are not losing our sense of community. And if you're a friend invited you or brought you along and you're unsure what it means to follow Jesus, one of the ways you can know and look and say, do I have this joy, this what I've called here, uncommon joy, not the joy that you might feel if you want to use that word when you're, you know, when you're walking down the street and, and you, you, uh, you find, it's funny, I, I remember my daughter and I were walking across uh, West 72nd and Broadway and my daughter, when she was younger, she used to just see things on the street all the time and just pick things up. And I always say, stop, you can't do this when you're walking. It was 72nd and Broadway. Um, you can't do this. And I said to her, stop. And so, but then she said, she said, but dad, and she held up something. In other words, she found something. Now she stops all the time. But you know, when you're walking somewhere else other than crossing Broadway at 72nd, um, it's a different, it's a different experience. So she holds up what was a really nice Bluetooth, Bluetooth headphone. Uh, and I got to tell you, she was happy at so many levels. There was a sense of joy that crossed her face because number one, her father was saying, stop doing that. And she said, but look, I found something worth like $100. But here's the reality. Joy is not when you find a $100 Bluetooth earphone, right? And people don't use those as common as they used to. Um, but joy is something that's still there when you lose that as well. It's funny because that same daughter, we were on uh, vacation. Uh, as some of you know, stayed up in service. We took a few days up in the woods in Wisconsin. And that same daughter, um, we were leaving and she left her phone behind. And oh, oh, it was it was the end of the world. So it's interesting how um, the state of finding something can bring us joy. The state of losing something can take our joy. But um, she's a follower of Jesus. So let me say, too, that for all of us, joy stays. It's an uncommon joy. But there's a courage that comes with it. So he says, but with that, with full courage now. As always, you can almost hear him stealing himself. Uh, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. So he's restating his full commitment because if you want uncommon joy, the kind that defines your life, you have to live your life surrendered to Christ. I actually lose my joy when I am uh, living parts of my life unsurrendered because that's where the shame and the guilt and the struggle actually comes into my life. So again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, uh, you might experience that occasional high, but also that low. Now, let me tell you, Christians, we have highs and lows too, but a joy remains, a peace that passes all understanding, an uncommon joy. And that's what Paul's talking about. So, and even the reason Paul could speak of boldness is he doesn't have courage in his own might, but in God's might. He says, in my body, which means all of us, right? He wants all of you. He doesn't just want your spiritual life. He wants everything that you are. And you have to first, allow Jesus to save you, to change you, to fill you with his Holy Spirit. Um, and trying to honor him in your own power is actually futile. As a matter of fact, you know, some people have tried this. Benjamin Franklin talked about trying to be more holy or like Jesus. And what I would say to you is trying to be like Jesus outside the power of Jesus actually dishonors Jesus. So if you don't know the Lord, the thing we want to say to you is trust and follow him today, this day. Now, you're going to be bold for the right reasons here. So Paul is bold for the right reasons. He gets it. He's bold for the right reasons. And I love that about him. Now, I know uh, when I was a kid, my dad would take us to uh, Yankee Stadium. And some of you wondered, Yankees or Mets? And the answer is Yankees. And um, so we would go, and this a long time ago, so Chris Chambliss and uh, Lou Pinella. Anyway, and it was a long time ago. 
And we would go, and it was a simpler time. And I remember going up behind the club, the clubhouse and uh, getting some dugout and getting some, some signed baseball cards, which my mother would then throw away when I became a teenager because he's had this big stack of, like big bag of baseball cards. She said, many people don't need this anymore. Imagine I kept those baseball cards. But one of the things that's interesting here, right? Now, again, Yankee fans, Mets fans, all, I love everybody. But one of the things hopefully you could cheer on a little bit was uh, the Cubs. Now, let me talk about the Cubs for just a moment. Uh, You probably um, aren't a Cubs fan, but if you love baseball, and a lot of you do, I know, you can appreciate how the Cubs finally broke through and won the World Series in 2016, the first time since 1908. I know it's been since 1986 for the Mets and, uh, and, and unbelievably over a decade for the Yankees. Uh, but you can appreciate the story of Ben Zobrist. He was the Cubs MVP. So real crucial in the 8-7 to seven victory in 10 innings against the Cleveland Indians. Um, and Zobrist plays um, left field, scored a go-ahead double and in the 10th inning of game seven. Now, um, I was actually in New York City for that game. I was actually at LaGuardia Airport staying in the Courtyard Hotel uh, watching. I was flying back from London watching game seven of the World Series. And, um, and people would talk about Zobrist's work. My Cubs manager, Joe Madden, told MLB.com, he said, who sets a better example how to work an at-bat? Um, he goes on to say, and who sets a better example of just being a professional than he does? Well, Zobrist is actually a devout Christian, member of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And in 2013, he said this, we all know, we know, quoting him, we know that as a Christian athlete, people are watching. And so we want to be the best example we can be so that we are different, that Christ has changed our lives. He went on to say, I want people to know that grace is for everyone. We all need grace. We all need Christ. See, that's the kind of confidence. The confidence is not built out of our own, you know, I'm a significant player in the World Series. It's we all need grace. We all need Christ. So Paul is actually courageous, not in his own ability to surrender himself to Christ, but in the fact that upon surrendering himself to Christ, he would have certainty, hope, courage, boldness that God would deliver him, whether he lives or he dies, he would belong to the Lord. And that makes all the difference. If you want uncommon joy, the kind that defines your life, you have to live your life surrendered to Christ. And again, major courage in motion, right, is saying things like grace for everyone. And you don't have to be a baseball player. You don't have to be well-known. It's not because of how great Zobrist is. It's, not, it's because of how great Jesus is, right? So don't miss this. Jesus exchanged his life, exchanged his life for ours. For our sake, he made, the passage says. For our sake, he made. God made him to be sin who knew no sin. In other words, God um, made Jesus to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So So all the sins that I committed, and you committed and taken on Christ, he died on the cross for my sin and in my place, so that his righteousness could be taken on me. That's called imputation. So just as my sins were imputed to Jesus, his righteousness was imputed to me. So Paul's courage is not based on himself, anything he's done, anything he is, but from a courage of who he became in Christ. He knew he was the righteousness of of God, not because of himself, but because when God looked upon him, Paul the Apostle, or Ed Stetzer, or you, when God looks upon you or me as followers of Jesus, he doesn't see how hard we try, how much we failed. He sees Jesus' righteousness. So Paul could then say boldly, 
And he's not going to be put to shame. As a matter of fact, in Romans 1.16, he would say, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. No, it's not Paul working up the courage not to be ashamed. It's his confidence in the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, right? So um, Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because he is sure that the gospel is the gospel. It's not some as-seen-on-TV product. It's not some overhyped reality. The gospel is, it really is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Paul knows this himself because he has met the risen Christ. If you don't know this, we want to invite you to meet the risen Christ. Communicate with us through online or, or, or the number that we provide as well. We want to share that good news with you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, most of you would be followers of Jesus, believing the gospel will make us courageously move out in obedience. Because remember what we're talking about here, right? Unashamed joy that, that hopes, courageous joy that moves. So it moves us to that obedience, right? Courage, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ is. So again, if you want uncommon joy, the kind that defines your life, you have to live your life surrendered to Christ. And I don't know about you. I just want to walk in that uncommon joy, which leads us to the last point, right? So I've talked about unashamed joy that hopes, courageous joy that moves, moves us to obedience. And then number three is uncommon joy, uncommon joy, right? So we're now to verses uh, 21 and 22, the among the most, some of the most famous books in, in the uh, verses in the whole Bible, it says this. It says, for to me, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, again, Paul's not wishing for death, right? He, the Bible actually speaks of death as an enemy at times. But at the same time, he has great confidence, boldness that his deliverance is assured. He has this hope that 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 is leads to this uncommon joy. And so Paul says, um, writes, for me to live is Christ, to die is to gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means faithful labor for me. I'm going to keep doing things that God wants me to do because I'm surrendered to him. And he says, yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Which is kind of interesting. He says, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. And we don't really know the full detail of what that means. Is it because of what he will say or not say? How he will respond to his uh, imprisonment or not? We don't know. But he is caught between two possibilities, life and death. And he was content knowing that whatever happened, his life or death, were in the hands of God. And I will tell you, that's a great place to be. I have a friend who was um, diagnosed recently with uh, very low survivability rate cancer. And his response was, well, it's up to the Lord. Now, again, that seems casual. It seems dismissive. It seems cavalier. But it's not, because it is. I mean, he can do all the treatments, and he's going to intentionally pursue treatments. Um, he can pray and, and ask God to miraculously intervene, and we believe God does and can miraculously intervene. But at the end of the day, it's kind of up to God. And why would he want to live in fear and worry when he could just say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is to gain? Because this joy, this uncommon joy, remember, it's unashamed joy that hopes, it's courageous joy that moves, moves us to obedience. It's uncommon joy that remains. It's uncommon joy that remains. Um, Paul didn't have to develop a theology of life and death here. He, his, his theology about whether he would live or die grew out of his, his life of faith, and so should ours, right? He's in prison, um, waiting to appear before 
probably a rather psychotic um, Roman emperor named Nero. Again, we're not 100% sure. He doesn't give us all the details. But it was uh, most likely, eventually, the person who would kill Paul. Um, and again, we don't even have the details of that. But and scholars disagree when this actually happened. You know, many believe Paul won his first appeal, then um, you know goes on another missionary journey. We don't we don't know. But here's what we do know: um, some believe he was rearrested later. But what we do know is, with great certainty, is Paul had this uncommon joy. I want that. I don't always have that. Can I say, say that to you? Because sometimes I don't have the full focus. If you want uncommon joy, the kind that defines your life, you have to live your life surrendered to Christ. And sometimes I want to take it back. I don't know why I want to do that. Because then I find myself worrying or anxious, whatever it may be. But when I'm fully surrendered to him, I have this uncommon joy. So Paul just knew he was going to be delivered. He didn't know what that meant. And can I tell you, that can be our standard of success, that God's going to get us through this. We don't know how. But then when our standard is of success is God's going to get us through this, God's going to be glorified in this, when that's our standard, um, it becomes all about God and not all about us. It, joy isn't relative and coming and going when you find a Bluetooth or you lose your cell phone, to use the example of my amazing daughter. But joy is there whether you have what you found or you lose what you had. The joy is there for Paul, whether he lives or he dies. And let me just tell you, too, you should not be happy all the time. It's not, it's actually not biologically and neurologically possible to be happy all the time. It's actually a sign of you actually have to get treatment if you're just always happy. You're supposed to be sad sometimes. You're supposed to be um, happy, sad. That's part of the journey of life. There are happy moments and sad moments. So joy is a separate category from that. Um, so the goal is not to be happy all the time. In fact, it's weird when Christians, you know, they, they sort of, to me, it's, it's just a little strange when Christians sort of um, overstate their happiness in every bad situation. You know, I, I got in a car accident, but I'm so happy I broke only one leg. You know, it's okay to be kind of sad that your car's wrecked and your leg's broken. Uh, but joy is in Jesus and Jesus doesn't leave. So if joy, this joy is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit, if this joy comes from Jesus and Jesus doesn't leave, I can have wrecked my car and broke my leg. Say, I am really upset that I wrecked my car and broke my leg. But man, thank God that, that whatever happens, Jesus is in charge. He loves me. He hasn't left me. At the end of the day, he's going to deliver me from the difficulties of this present circumstance. And how he's going to deliver me, I don't know. But joy is constant because Jesus is constant. Joy is constant because Jesus is permanent. Jesus is permanent. Therefore, joy remains. Um, and I would say one of the worst advertisements for the Christian life is the joyless Christian. If you're a Christian, you ought to be um, the, the one evidencing that kind of joy. It's unreasonable. It's an unreasonable life. Unless Jesus is truly who he said he was, then it's an uncommon joy. And here's the reality. We've got to look to him and the midst of finding that peace. Let's listen to, listen to this great passage in the Old Testament for followers of God. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And now through Christ, I can get to in his presence. At his right hand, there are, there are pleasures forevermore. There's fullness of joy. How? By doing what the writer of Hebrews says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. That's what Stephen said when he died. He was stoned in the book of Acts. Stoned, um, in martyrdom in the book of Acts. And he said, look, the son of man, and he died in joy. 
Listen, if your life is a billboard and it says, Jesus gives me unashamed, courageous, and uncommon joy, that means because you're fully surrendered to Christ. If Jesus is the rock of your life, despite your circumstances, brings you deep joy and satisfaction, people will see, and you will walk in that kind of uncommon, beautiful joy that I want and you want, that I don't always have because I step out of surrender. But if you want uncommon joy, the kind that defines your life, you have to live your life surrendered to Christ. Now, we need to do something here, because surrender is a, it's kind of an interesting term, right? Um, so here's something that might be interesting. You're kind of accustomed to making commitments, a lot of them, right? We have commitments to our health, to our jobs, to our families, to our church. We're used to these. But a lot of people don't talk about surrender in the plural. We don't say, I have these surrenders, right? My, my job, my health, my life, my family. You may be committed to many, but you really only surrender to one. I don't surrender. Hopefully, I don't surrender myself to my job. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to... Um, Maybe I have a blank sheet of paper. I get these journals that sometimes people send me. I don't know who sent me this. I, I, I want to be a journaler. Some of you are journalers. I'm kind of uh, jealous of you. This was sent to me by B&H. And um, so it's a journal. And I've not, I've not journaled yet much. I mean, I, I occasionally write things. But so here's a blank sheet of paper, right? The paper represents your life. And you could write everything you will do for Jesus, right? I'm going to lead a small group. I'm going to go on a mission trip. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to not take the dog. I'm going to, I'm going to pray before meals. And then you sign your name and you give it to the Lord and say, Lord, this is my commitment to you. But that's kind of American Christianity, right? Surrender is you just put your name on it and you hand it over to the Lord. It says, whatever you put there, Lord, I will do. That's Paul's life. So Paul doesn't fill it up and say, Lord, bless it. Or I give it to you. Paul just says, um, for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. Whatever you want me to do, I'll start with surrender. And can I just say to you, when you start with surrender, that uncommon joy, if you want uncommon joy, the kind that defines your life, you have to live your life surrendered to Christ. So as we close, I really want to ask you if you might do that. As you might put your yes on the table and let God put it on the map to do to go, to say, to share, to work, to learn. That's surrender. And when you begin by just surrendering to someone who loves you more than you'll ever know, who loves you more than anyone else can love you, and you walk in that confidence, you'll have that kind of uncommon joy that Paul talks about here that is so beautiful. And I love the language that he uses. For to me, he says, and I hope you can say, for to me, to live is Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. I'm just confident of this. I'm just walking in the truth. That, and I don't want you to miss the, the language I've talked about here, that I have unashamed joy because it hopes. I have courageous joy that moves me to obedience. I have uncommon joy that remains because Jesus remains. And that gives you that uncommon joy that changes everything. Would you pray with me? Father, we acknowledge today that we need to be reminded, I need to be reminded, Lord, that sometimes I step away and I step out of the surrender that I need for my life. Lord, help me not to put a list of things and give them to you. Help me just to give my life to you, to surrender. Lord, I'll go where you want me to go, do what you want me to do, talk to who you want me to talk to, work, study. Lord, I give it all to you. Would you just join me in that prayer? Just, if you're a follower of Jesus, just say to him, Lord, I want to surrender. I want to have the kind of confidence 
the eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed because I know that I'm surrendering to you. But Lord, to acknowledge that uncommon joy can be my life, can be my experience, only to the degree that I surrender my life to you. Just surrender right now and say, Lord, I give it again to you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to trust and follow him now. To say, Lord, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart, Jesus. I receive the new life you have for me. I want you to be my Savior and my Lord. Father, I pray that you would remind us all that surrender is a great gift that accompanies and leads to a great joy. We yield to you because you alone are worthy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to encourage you that if you did pray with me or you're unsure about your walk with the Lord, that the, our family here at Calvary Baptist Church would love to minister to you. Um, we're, not, we're, we're, we're not better than anybody else. Uh, we're just resting in who Jesus is because he's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So reach out either online through our comment card or call the number that's here as well. Thanks for joining us today. We'll continue our service now. God bless. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. For more information, to connect, make a prayer request, or make a contribution, go to our website at www.cbcnyc.org or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you'll join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.